Life Audio. Thank you for joining us for Sound Reasoning with Christian apologist and minister Perseus Poku of Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's program will educate, train, and empower you to defend your Christian faith with confidence. Perseus has his bachelor's in history and a master's degree in apologetics. We hope you enjoy this time of equipping so that you can answer questions to defend your Christian faith effectively. Now here's Perseus Poku on Sound Reasoning. Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I'm your host, Perseus Poku. On today's episode, I wanted to give my arguments for the existence of God, arguments for the existence of God. And after a word from our sponsors, we'll get started on the topic today. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. So when we look at arguments for the existence of God, there are um, many positions you can take, uh, whether or not uh, you want to use the Calum argument or ra- rather the teleological argument. Whatever arguments you want to use, uh, make sure that ultimately it's in agreement with Scripture. So when we look at the history for the argument for God, uh, we look at, for example, Ansem, uh, who argued that God exists in the mind and reality, and he asserts that nothing could be conceived to be greater than God. Or the perfect being theology, which says that if something is logically possible, then, that it, then it is sufficient for believing something is actually possible. But then how does perfect being theology uh, show God's existence in nature? And that basically is saying that which nothing greater can be thought. If God is that which nothing greater can be thought, then whatever is greater to have must, must be possessed by God. Otherwise, God is not that which nothing greater can be conceived or thought of. But yet, as we critique this perfect being theology model, the problem rests on the mistakes that one can infer from that position 
in terms of logical possibility to actual possibility. So perfect being theology believes that if something is logically possible, that is sufficient for believing something to be actually possible. So, for, for example, one cannot infer that a diangle is really possible because it is logically possible. If God is beyond all thought, then how are we to prove um, conceptions of what would make God better? Maybe God has the perfection that we don't know about or rules out God being impassable or just merciful. In short, Ansem rules his argument out of court. So um, he is mistaken in certain areas when he's trying to, um, to prove that God exists. We need to look at, or we can look at God through classical theism, right? Uh, and classical theism is different than perfect being theology that Ansem was proposing um, how one establishes the existence of God largely determines how we know the nature of God. So perfect being theology attempts to establish God's existence through an uh, a priori position. And this is basically saying uh, there are belief systems or agreements that you already have before you start making your argument. There are certain things you already believe in. So classical theism argues for the existence of God through um, an, a posterior method, meaning after uh, after the arguments. Um, so it, it's on the causal side uh, or, or rather the effect side. So perfect being theology believes that if something is logically possible, that is sufficient for believing something to be actually possible. However, classical theism makes a distinction between what is logically possible versus what is actually possible. So as we continue to argue for the existence of God, there's a technical term called pure actuality. It is a technical term in theology as well as philosophy, which describes God's pure or absolute perfection. And that is in contrast to creatures who are limited and have mixed perfection. So again, uh, pure actuality uh, is a technical term uh, in theology and philosophy, which describes God's pure or absolute perfection in contrast to creatures who are limited and have mixed perfection. So as we explain the reasons for thinking God is pure actuality, um, the first is God is underived, right? God has a seity, A-S-E-I-T-Y, which means nobody gives God his existence. God is underived. God is the uncaused cause of everything other than himself. He is, uh, he simply is and does not have his existence given to him by another. Thus, God has no potentiality. Uh, for actuality because he possesses all things and all beings. So God uh, doesn't have potential. God is fully actual, fully actual. Uh, Secondly, God is a necessary being. A necessary being cannot uh, cannot not exist, meaning that he's necessary. God is necessary for this earth to continue doing what it's doing. God is necessary for us to wake up in the morning. God is necessary for gravity to still do its job. God is necessary for the earth 
to uh, to rotate and, and do what it does. God is a necessary being. A necessary being cannot not exist. If God uh, cannot not exist, then there is no potential for non-existence. This makes God necessary. Thus, uh, because God is necessary, he is pure actuality. And I apologize. It seems like I'm speaking in circles, but philosophically, this is how we explain it. Is God is a, uh, he is a necessary being and it's impossible for him not to exist because we are contingent on God. Uh, what we are, who we are, what the world is. It's all contingent on God, the one who supplies the air, the one who supplies gravity, the one who supplies the food, the one who supplies the germination for us uh, to plant different things. It's because of him, and he controls it all. So he is a necessary being. And when we look at the objections to pure actuality, uh, some would say God created the world, but to create requires the potential to create. Thus, God has potential. Thus, pure actuality is false. So they're saying um, that because God creates, and, uh, he, he must have potential to not create. But let's respond to that. The objection fails to distinguish between active and passive potential. Uh, potential. Active potential is the ability to affect change. Passive potential is the capacity to be changed by an object or subject. To create, to create only requires active potentiality and not passive potentiality. All the changes are in effect. For example, boiling water. So objection number two. Uh, some may say God's acting different, uh, um, act at different times and places. Thus, God has potential and pure actuality is false. Um, and our response is, it's false that God's actions by which different things come about is located uh, at that time or place because God transcends time. By one act, God can bring about many things. So, for example, uh, flipping on a switch. When you flip on a switch, the switch is connected to different mechanisms to turn something on or off. So it's that one act. Uh, which starts the domino. So God can just create something, and that something has uh, causes within it that connects to other things. So he's not acting at different times and different places uh, if he doesn't want to. So as we explain the concept uh, of God or trying to prove his existence, another uh, term we want to use is simplicity. And it's, it's not used in the way that you may think, not in the average way or in the common way that you and I mostly use simple. Uh, this simplicity is philosophical and not often used in logic. Number one, God has no parts, nor is he a compound element, right? God is a spirit. He doesn't have parts. Number two, God is not a material body. He is not composed like human beings. Uh, you have arms, you have neck, you, you have legs, etc. So God doesn't have a material body. And I'm thankful for that, that God doesn't have a material body because he's not restricted. See, we're restricted by our bodies. Let us take a break to recognize our sponsors and we'll be right back.
And when we need to get somewhere, we either walk or we use a mode of transportation, uh, whether it's a wheelchair, whether it's an Uber, whether it's a skateboard, a bicycle, uh, an automobile. We have to use something to transport our bodies from one place to another. But God doesn't have that issue. God is a spirit, and he's everywhere all at once. Number three, God is his own existence. He doesn't receive his existence from anyone else like you and I. We owe our existence to God. Uh, We are contingent on him. And God is responsible for us being here. But God, he's eternal. He's infinite. He owes his existence to no one. He says, I am Alpha and Omega. So God doesn't owe his existence to anyone. So thus we say um, God exists as a divine, uh, in, uh, div- divine simplicity form. Then lastly, God has no accidents. And by accidents, again, this is a logical term don't, or a philosoph- philosophical term. Don't think of it as the way that we use the term accidents. In philosophy, the term accidents uh, it's used to distinguish one thing from another. So, for example, let's say uh, you have a white car. Well, they would say that that whiteness of that car is accidental, meaning that um, it is unique to that particular car. So God has no accidents uh, or characteristics that modify a thing to ex- exist in a certain way. Uh, God has, he doesn't have that. He is uh, a spirit. Then when we explain um, or, or respond to the objections of divine simplicity, um, people may say, well, if God is simple, then God is identical to each one of his attributes. Uh, then God is not simple. And our response is, well, the multiple attributes are not found in God, but are found in the mind's conception of God. The divine attributes are various descriptions that human beings use to talk about the one simple God. And again, these are issues that we talk about on a theological level and just wanted to share it. Uh, Normally, um, I try to bring the theology on the pew level, but sometimes, depending on the topic, we also have to deal with the theology on a seminary level. So when we talk about uh, God's divine perfection and divine goodness, that's another aspect of God when we, when we are arguing for him. Uh, we compare and contrast common notions of God's perfection and goodness with the classical theist metaphysical doctrine of perfection and goodness. The argument centered around why we should think of God as perfect and good. God is not good in the way that we normally take being good to consist God is not good because he has perfected a life of virtue, nor is he called good because he behaves himself, nor is he called good because of his ability to always perform his duty in the right circumstances. God is perfect and good by the nature of his being, his ontology. That's why God is good. He is ontologically good. Okay? And then uh, as we explain the reasons for thinking God is perfect, Something is considered perfect when it lacks nothing with respect to his manner or profession. So the term is analogous. God, as pure actuality, actuality, lacks nothing. Thus, God is perfect. 
He's the first cause of all reality. He's the first cause of all reality. The first cause of all reality. God is pure actuality. His perfection is possessed in proportion to actuality. Thus, as God is pure, uh, pure act, he must be eminently perfect. And then God's actuality is not realized in any way um, outside of him being absolute. Thus, God is most perfect. God is most perfect. And as we continue to look at God's nature, um, it helps us in our walk, knowing that uh, the God we serve is perfect. The God we serve is not wishy-washy. He's not uh, petty. The God we serve is constant. He's a plumb line. He's the ruler. We walk circumspectly by him, and we're thankful for that because he's not like some humans. Uh, some humans are um, jolly one day, next minute they're grumpy. Uh, he's not like us. So as we explain the metaphysical doctrine that, go- that goodness and being are, are the same in reference, but d- also differ in one sense when it comes to God. All beings are created metaphysically good. As we find in uh, Genesis, when God created, uh, created, he said it was good. But God can be, uh, but even those good ontological creation can at the same time be morally corrupt, morally corrupt. You can be good metaphysically, right, ontologically in one sense, but evil in another sense. So ontologically, in terms of your being, your existence, you're good, but uh, you can be morally corrupt. All things are good in so far as they are actual, meaning absolute, absolutely good, metaphysically good, ontologically good. However, creatures can be judged on whether or not they are being good individ- uh, individually in terms of their goodness and in terms of their kind. So again, um, God doesn't have the potential to not be good because he's already ontologically good and he's morally good. Morality flows out of his nature. And as we explain the doctrine that goodness is what all things desire, uh, that's, uh, again, a logical and philosophical term that's used uh, in those circles when it talks about uh, what goodness is. They say goodness is a thing. A thing has goodness in so far as it can be the goal of a desire or tendency. So, for example, the will and the intellect both possess, possess an appetite. They both possess an inclination for something. So, uh, goodness is what all things desire, meaning that we're bent towards wanting what's good for us. Uh, but sometimes those things get skewed based on um, who's leading us and what we are listening to. So that's uh, God's goodness that we wanted to take a look at. And all these things is really designed in terms of these definitions. They're designed to uh, stretch our minds as it relates to God, his nature, not just his existence, but his attributes. So even when we talk about God's omnipresence, uh, we have to be ready to be able to explain why God is omnipresent. Uh, in modern philosophy, theology of the 18th century, um, rather, the philosophy of the, uh, the 18th century, uh, people like the Scottish philosopher David Hume 
His model of causality was taken as a standard. On this model, cause and effect are interpreted as two distinct events connected by a regularity, which leads the mind to infer one kind of a thing, which should be followed by another kind of a thing. In contrast, classical theism understands causality in one way, as efficient causality. Causality in the effect, in the becoming of an actuality in the effect. Contemporary thought also embraces aspects of pantheism. In their view, there is no distinction between the creator and the created. So when we look at the view that God is in every place and everything, uh, God is entirely present to everything and to every place. God is present to every place and in everything because God is the sustaining causes to creation. Therefore, God is wholly present to everything and in every place. So when we use that term omnipresent, that's what we're talking about. We're saying that God is wholly present to everything and in every place because God is the uncaused causer, which is uh, causing everything to operate the way that it needs to operate. If God would uh, metaphorically withdraw his hands, everything would shut down. You would stop breathing. Uh, Nature would stop giving out carbon dioxide. Uh, Air wouldn't blow. We wouldn't be able to survive. But thank be to God that he loves us so much that he continues to sustain us, even though many of us have turned our faces away from him. So God is indeed omnipresent, and he is near to all of us. Then we use the term immutability uh, when we talk about God, Uh, his his divine immutability. Uh, The doctrine of divine immutability states that God is changeless. If he changes, then it would mean he lacks something. However, God cannot acquire anything new because he is perfect. Everything which which changes has potentiality. God has no potentiality because he is pure actuality. So God is indeed immutable. God is indeed immutable. Everything which changes is composed. However, there's no composition in God because he is absolutely, remember that term, simple. So God cannot change, meaning that God uh, is not made up of parts, okay? God is simple. He's a spirit. Whatever changes acquires something new. God cannot acquire anything new because he is perfect and infinite, just like um, the butterfly uh, in its previous form, um, it changes into a butterfly, but God has no potentiality to change. He's not changing into anything new. All things other than God are marked by potentiality because he's the creator and everything else is the created. God, who is pure actuality, is absolutely changeless. So as we uh, look at his immutability, that's what we're saying. We're saying that God is changeless. Okay, he cannot change. He, he doesn't have the ability to change. He is perfect. And then we say that God is also eternal. Eter- eternality teaches that God has not changed as it relates to time. In other words, God transcends time. He's not bound by it. Eternity is the simultaneously whole and perfect possession of interminable life. Time is continuous movement considered as a measure of the duration of mobile beings. 
A measure cannot be formed except by an act of the mind. The collection of parts and the uh, comparison is not found in reality. Therefore, time is a product of the mind. There is difference in how something exists in the mind versus how it exists in the real world. Since God is immutable, he is not subject to time, which consists of continuous change. Each eternity belongs to God and is identified with his essence. This is in contrast uh, contrast to some creatures called eternal, meaning they will never end like spiritual beings. Even bodily things are called eternal in the sense that they are not quickly or visibly affected by time. Thus, we speak of the eternal mountains metaphorically. So as we look at God's eternality, again, it teaches that God has not changed as it relates to time. And, and I'm grateful for that because uh, we serve a God who's holy other, W-H-O-L-L-Y. God is holy other. He's not like us. And I'm thankful that he's not like us. I'm thankful that he exists, and I'm thankful that he has these attributes which um, helps me to strive uh, to do better, to be better, and to understand my identity in him and my purpose. Well, our time has come to a close. I pray that this information is helpful Uh, You can always rewind the tape and go back and search the material for yourself. Continue to pray for us as we pray for you. And again, please consider becoming a donor of Sound Reasoning. You can go on our website, srministries.org, or you can send us a check uh, through the mail. Again, we thank God for you. Continue to do for the truth what so many people do for a lie. Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or support the ministry, visit online at... Hi, I'm Zach. And I'm Randy. And we're from Salty Saints Podcast. We're a theology and apologetics podcast. We hope to better equip you to be salt and light for your community. Uh, We hope that we can help you to go out and be a reflection of Jesus Christ to those around you, uh, to your friends and your family, and especially to those that do not know Christ. To find out more, subscribe at lifeaudio.com.